0: I want to talk tonight about the invitation that's been extended to you that you want to make sure you say yes to. And that's for us collectively as a people of God tonight, but it's also for you individually. And the invitation is this, the God of heaven is knocking at your door. The God who spoke The universe into existence currently is standing outside your door ringing the bell. We read that in Revelation chapter 3, one of these letters that Jesus dispatches to the churches of the day. And this particular letter is going to the church in a place called Laodicea. And down in the middle of the letter written in red the words of Jesus he says here I am exclamation point I stand at the door and knock Now can we just stop and take that all in for a moment That's Jesus writing to us to let us know hey somebody's on Other side of the door. If you felt a twinge, if you felt a pull, if you felt a longing, if you've had a friend come by, maybe a co worker, a classmate, and say, Hey, I just want to talk to you about this person named Jesus Christ. If you've been thinking that there's more to life, if there's been something inside that hasn't been filled, and everything you've been able to accomplish on planet Earth, it could be that it's because. The Son of God is standing outside the door of your life and he is knocking right now. And he said, and here's the invitation. If anyone, if anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him or her and he or she with me. Heaven standing outside your door right now. And do you know what's interesting about this? I've heard this text preached since I was, you know, I can't, I can't remember how far back I would have to go to hear someone do a message on Revelation 3, 20. But I don't think anyone has ever asked the question, in the context of all the times I've heard this passage, why is Jesus standing at the door of our life and knocking? Why is he outside your door tonight, is it that he's sitting here on a mission from God, he knows you've been bad, he's banging down your door, if you crack it open, he'll bust through the little chain lock you've got on, and he wants to come in and just absolutely destroy you with all the wrath of God. Is that why he's outside knocking on the door? Is it like you've been found out, uh, somebody has finally read all your mail, and this is God coming to give you what you deserve? Or is it something else? Why is Jesus standing outside your life right now? And the answer to this question, I think, is paramount tonight because, A, it's going to influence how you receive this message, and B, it's going to impact how you see yourself going forward. And I'm, I'm just telling you, you're being prayed for right now because you, you just, we don't roll in here and give talks. We know that we are doing spiritual work in this place, and so the men of our house have been on their knees in this place today praying for you already before you walked into this place. And here's why. Because this word has the power to change the way you see yourself so that when you walk out the door tonight, you never see yourself the same again. What you thought about yourself coming in tonight goes away and you walk out with a brand new viewpoint of who you are. All of that hangs in the balance on the, the question, why? Why is Jesus standing outside Your door, knocking on your door. And there are two main reasons. We find them in Colossians chapter one, a beautiful text describing the Son of God. And it opens this particular paragraph with these words It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. And then it describes the all things. It gives a very big umbrella over what has been created by Jesus so that no one in this room would feel like, well, maybe everything else on the planet was created by Jesus. Everything else in the cosmos was created by Jesus, but not me. It's very comprehensive. And then he concludes or summarizes at the end by saying, all things were created by Jesus and for him. So we can put our name in that verse, you. Were created by Jesus and you were created for him. Answering two of the basic questions of all humans alive right now anywhere on planet Earth. Does my life matter and why am I here? And we get the answer to both questions right here in this text. Your life matters because there's no incidental or insignificant or accidental people in the building tonight. You were created by Jesus. Jesus. There is no process of random assimilation of a trillion miracles that brought you onto planet Earth. God is in the equation. And the reason you're on planet Earth, the purpose for which you're on planet Earth is for God. You were created for God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is revolutionary stuff. Because I think the church has done a fantastic job of inverting the entire message of the gospel. We've turned the tables on everything God intended, and we have it this way. God was created for me. God exists for me. God's there to do stuff for me. I need stuff, and God's the only one who can do it for me. Did you know that before God wanted to do something for you, he created you to do something for him? He made you to be in a relationship with God him he created you by himself and for himself your highest value isn't to give yourself to a husband or to give yourself to a wife or to give yourself to your kids or to a career your highest value on planet earth is to give yourself to the God who created you for himself that's why Jesus is standing outside the door tonight Can I translate that down into common language? You are purposed and valuable and wanted. God sees something attractive and desirable about you that compels him to invite you to be his friend. Now, our minds have been tampered with And a deceiver has gotten into our thought process. And so a lot of you would already be thinking something like, no way, that can be true. God's way too busy for somebody like me. I mean, my friends don't even have time for me, Louie. You're trying to tell me that God has time for me? God's doing fine. He, He doesn't need some... You know, somebody from Mableton to make the equation work out good. He's got all the apostles and the prophets and the patriarchs and 10,000 times 10,000 angels up in heaven. How would he even notice if one of the seven plus billion people on planet earth was missing? He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time on earth right now. Surely God doesn't see me. But see, what Jesus is saying is it's quite the opposite. I am actually standing outside on your porch right now. Knocking, not on a door, but on your door. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And would you open the door? Because if you do, something powerful is going to happen. So I want to encourage us. Don't waste your invitation to have dinner with the king we've talked about your health we've talked about your time your influence your family your pain but i want to encourage you tonight don't waste your invitation to have dinner with the king it's the one invitation you want to show up on time for it's the one thing you want to make sure you get it right that you cash in, that you you don't come up to the end of the deal and say, oh, I thought it was on Thursday. I didn't know it was on Tuesday. Oh, I actually, you know, just blanked out and I was at the gym and forgot I was supposed to be across town. You don't want to do that with divinity standing on your doorstep. And I know right now the message kind of is going to go two directions. I could feel it when I was working on it because we are naturally sort of guilt-leaning people. So I knew the message right about here could start leaning towards, I'm, I'm kind of on my heels in a defensive posture. I should have spent more time with God. I feel a little convicted right now. I haven't had a quiet time and say, oh, well, in 2017, and I am not really, you know, prioritizing devotional life with God. I'm not really making enough space for Jesus. I've been way too busy, way too cluttered in my life. But I don't want us to go that direction tonight. I, I, it's fine if there's conviction, and there will be conviction in all of our hearts tonight because of this incredible invitation. But I don't want us simply to go that way because what it does, again, is it turns the tables on the gospel. I don't want you tonight to say, wow, I need to spend more time with God. I want you to be awakened tonight to the idea that God wants to spend more time with you. See, what changes relationships is not just when you see the girl and you're like, man, she's fine. I, 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 wanna, I think that God has laid it on my heart that it's his purpose and will for me to be a part of her becoming like Jesus. And so you begin to think in your mind about what it would be like in a month or two or a year or three go by and you finally decide, I'm going to talk to her. And I'm going to really see if I can figure out how to get in a family group or small group or environment with her where somehow naturally I can say something like, uh, 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 uh. Hi, and um, so I, I'm I'm thinking about it, and you know how you feel. You know what you want. You know in your mind you could see a relationship developing. You could see things happening. You could see you spending time with that person. But relationships explode when the other person checks the box. Yes, and you go, oh. You want to spend time with me also. Wow, this is amazing. And that is when the explosion happens and relationships go into orbit. There are a lot of you sitting on one half of that right now. I want to spend more time with them, or I need to spend more time with them. But the thing's going to blow up when you have. A reciprocal moment where they say, and I would like you to know, in the same way, I want to spend more time with you. So let's don't get strung up tonight on the meism of this invitation and say, well, I know I need to spend more time with Jesus. Jesus wants to spend more time with you. And that's the mind-blowing explosion where the relationship goes to a different level. When you see that you are desired by God. This was always the plan, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We see two things. God created Adam and Eve to curate. You're like, well, what does that mean? Take care of, manage, steward. I've, I've made a world, now you take care of the world. I've made, but it wasn't just a job. He also, along with curation, wanted a relationship. So the two priorities of Adam and Eve were take care of what I made and walk with God. And the scripture gives us a little glimpse into what that looked like. We know that on the day that it, or that the moment or the time frame where Adam and Eve sinned against God, it says in Genesis 3 that God came walking in the cool of the day and they heard him walking in the garden. And we don't know what that looked like. We don't know exactly the form that took, but we know that it was real enough and tangible enough to them that there was a relationship established between Adam and Eve and the creator of the world. On that time, they were, they were guilty now because of their sinful choice. They were, they were naked and ashamed, and they ran, and they hid from God. But as Randy Alcorn says, he, it's, it's not very likely that that was the first time God came walking in the garden. It's most likely that he'd come often walking in the garden, and even in the beauty of paradise, we could see two things at work. One, I have a mission for you, but equal to that, I want a relationship with you. And it's the very same thing today. The prophet says it this way: he "said God has showed you what is good, and so what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly." With your God. A lot of us would, you know, check the box, act justly, do my best, love mercy, trying to do that, be a good person. But this is what God requires of us walk humbly with God. Why? Because He wants to walk with you. And so can we change that? Can we maybe ask God to help us change that tonight? Oh, I know God wants me to walk with him. Oh, I know God wants me to walk with him. I know I should be walking with God more. I know I should be spending more time with God. I know I should dial in to a relationship with God more. Can we change that tonight, and can we start saying it a little bit differently? I know God wants to walk with me. I know God wants to spend more time with me. I know God wants me to dial in to how much He's dialed in to a relationship with me. A little case study for us, so it all went wrong in Genesis 3, but something really powerful went right in Genesis 5. And this is electrifying stuff, so amen whenever you feel so led. But in Genesis 5, we find the genealogy from Adam to Noah. That's where you say amen. Get your pins out. Get your phones ready. Uh, Dial it up, people. This is going to be revolutionary right here. You've probably already in your small groups been texting this back and forth to each other this week in a soap study together. This is the written account of Adam's line, verse 1. You're like, okay, check, chapter 6, what do we got there? All right, the flood. Okay, I think I know what happened there. Chapter 7, what do we got there? Just moving on. But man, if we trill down into Adam's line, we see everything we need to know about the invitation tonight. Number one, we see when God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. So what is it that God's after in you? Is it just your personality? Although he loves your personality, by the way. You're like, well, I'm a little quirky. I know he made you a little quirky. Well, some of you are a little quirkier than what he made you, but there's some other circumstances that are are in the mix on that one. But you're like, well, I have a real dry sense of humor. He gave you your sense of humor. Yeah, but I appreciate certain kinds of things. I know he made you that way. I, I know, but I'm a real, I really love to garden. I know he made you to love to garden. I'm a painter. I know. Well, I'm really into science. I know. He's a scientist. He is the scientist. He made you like that. I'm real sensitive. I know. He's real sensitive. Man, I just really like to get things done. I know. He can create a world in six days. <laughs> what he loves about you isn't just the way you dress or the way you laugh or your particular Um, you know favorite flavor of of ice cream what he loves about you is that he's woven into you that there's some of the divinity of God the likeness is what the scripture calls it in you that you were made in his likeness so what he's pursuing in you is the him in you and he loves that About you. And he's standing right now. Right now. Right now. Outside your door. Ringing your bell. Right now. He created them male and female. And blessed them. And when they were created. He called them man. Now this is where it gets really. Crazy. When Adam had lived 130 years, can you say 130 years? He had a son. (laughs) Amen. Go, Adam. (laughs) In his own likeness and in his own image, and he named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. This is a little fact maybe you didn't know about Adam. So that altogether, Adam lived 930 years. And then he died, which is what you ought to do after your 930th year. There's never been a funeral or a memorial after a 930-year life where they said, man, we're really, really sorry that God took him home so early. It's just like, hallelujah. I mean, you made it nine centuries, bro. And 30 years on top of that. Crazy. Adam lived 930 years, and you kind of see a pattern develop. Let's just keep going for a minute. Now, Seth, second generation. So we're just going the generations from Adam. Second generation, he lived 105 years, became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, had other sons and daughters all together. Seth lived 912 years. And then he died when Enosh had lived 90 years he became the father of Kenan. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalio. Now, this is where you can tell, you know, things are going crazy. The kids are having babies a lot younger now. Uh, society's kind of falling apart. Um, but in every one of these stories, I mean, look at the years. 930 years. 912 years. 815 years. 910 years. This is pre-sweet and low uh, when these people were living. and then drop down to six generations. So we're just six generations down from the people who wrecked the plan. And we find this in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. So all together... Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. We find him two more places in Scripture. One of them is in Hebrews where it says about Enoch, before his being taken up, he had gained the testimony that he was pleasing to God six generations and finally we find someone who didn't waste the invitation to walk with God now somebody may have said well poor Enoch you know he only lived 365 years his life was cut short we don't know what happened to him maybe uh you know he got hit by a guy on a wheel I I don't know what you know came his way But all these other people, long life, fruitful life, multiplied life, great success. But here's Enoch, 365 years, a third of the lifespan of most of them, and yet he figures it out. I have an invitation to actually walk with God. And in so doing, I can be pleasing to him. Not just that he was pleasing to me, but that I became pleasing to him. When is the last time you heard of anyone spending time alone with God? And they came away, and you said, well, how was it? Oh, it was incredible. I I had the best time with God today. Oh, it was so, so special, so precious, so amazing. I just felt his love. I felt his closeness. I felt like he was speaking into my life. He was just pouring into me. He was building me up. He was blah, 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 blah. And then they said, oh, and then the most incredible thing was, what I gave to him. I just poured out my life to him. I just gave all of my praise to him. I just lifted him up as high as one human being can lift God up. I just adored him. I exalted him. I edified him. I poured back into his life. I just spent most of the time just telling God how amazing God is. No, we walk away from time with God. And how do we do it? We do it the way we do everything else. It was all about what God did, what God said, how God made me feel. And Enoch, I Think figured out that God does make me feel amazing but I can also make God feel amazing because I was made by and for God you're like well God is God so you can't change God I know but he's given us the opportunity and the invitation and the privilege to come into a relationship with him and that relationship's a two-way street and I want to tell you you need to think this one through even though he is sovereign and unchanging over the centuries and the eons of time and eternity Somehow, your relationship with God means something to him and does something for him. And Enoch figured that out. And he said, I, I don't, I don't want to just live 900 years and have a bunch of kids and a bunch of grandkids and great great grandkids and a big, you know, nest and a bunch of success and then to have the epitaph of my life. Oh, and then he died. Can you imagine Enoch's friends? Have you seen Enoch? You seen Enoch lately? No, I don't know what happened. Nobody's seen him. (laughs) Don't you want that? When I heard that as a college student, I said, I want that. If that's still an option, I want that. If if anybody can have that, I want that. If that's not like a special dispensation for one guy in Genesis 5, then I want that. And I can I just could picture it in my mind. Enoch and God walking together. And I don't think God probably was in a a body, but he was close enough to Enoch that he knew this is real. And one day he just, maybe they were talking and enjoying life. And maybe he just squeezed Enoch a little too hard that day. (laughs) And Enoch was gone. I mean, maybe he said, oops, sorry, I I, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, Don't look around. Um, You want to go back? You got 600 more years. (laughs) And Enoch was like, oh, no, no, no. No, I'm good because, see, the goal was to walk with you. That's what I've been aiming for all the days of my life. So why wouldn't we open the door? I'm thinking tonight, Louis, why wouldn't you open that door? And how how is it possible that he's still standing outside? How is that possible that Jesus is still on the stoop? Well, I think there are a few reasons why we don't open the door. I think, number one, we don't open the door because we can't hear him, because the music's too loud. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, some of you have neighbors, you know what I mean. You've tried to knock on their door, and they're like, man, we can't hear you because the music's too loud, literally in here. But I think figuratively, it happens to me and you and all of us where the music of this life gets so loud, we just can't hear Jesus knocking at the door. Timothy said it like this, he said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. And then this is the biggest indictment of all, if those things weren't Bad enough, this is the final nail in the coffin. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that scripture just goes right into my heart because I know it's true. I know it's true. I know there are things I get up for more than carving away time to open the door and have a meal with the Son of God. I know there are things that fire me up more than opening the door and having a meal with Jesus. And the irony of it all is I'm going to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven and a lot of you are looking forward to heaven. But isn't it ironic that we're looking forward to an eternity with Jesus, but we can't work him in to Tuesday. And I think we must have misfired on that somewhere along the way. And maybe somehow just lost our appetite for intimacy with God. Maybe you're like that today. Maybe the door isn't open because your business is going too great. Because your uh, pace of life is just too fast. Because there's too much to watch on Netflix when you get home. I mean, man, I can't wait. I got two whole seasons of something. I'm trying to get through and I'm excited. Maybe your next vacation's already been planned and you're just... you spent. What, 50 hours online looking at the different places you could go, the different flights you could take, the different places you could eat, the way you could squeeze one more outing in on the budget that you have. And we're just too busy, honestly. And I think it's honestly true that we are lovers of pleasure more than we're lovers of God. Anybody? Am I just up here by myself, I guess? And so to open the door, we have to be able to turn down the music so that we can hear the voice of God. I think a second reason why we don't open the door, and this one's a little closer to home, and I just share this for a lot of people I know in the room right now, is because we're too busy working for God to actually spend time with God. I, mean, I tell you, it is common on every team. I, I wish I could say it's not true about our team, and I think our team's amazing and alive, and We really do genuinely love God, but I think if you went person to person on our team, starting with me and said, are you spending as much time with Jesus as you want to be? I don't think anybody on our team would say, oh, absolutely. And we're the people that you're generously making it possible for us to serve you and serve the city and serve the world. And so we're in that boat. I'm guessing you're in that boat. I'm guessing that a lot of us are in that boat, that we are... Busy working for God and actually so busy working for God that maybe we replace working for God with walking for God and maybe somehow we're getting our fumes off of the things we do for God and we've lost the aroma of actually just sitting down and having dinner with God. This text in Revelation 3.20, it's all about that. This is what it says about the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds. So God already knows the big list of things. And I also know that you're neither hot or cold, and I wish you were one or the other. That's a strong word from God for all of us tonight. See, it's not just a a good feeling that heaven's on the other side of your door tonight. There's a weight to the fact that heaven's on the other side of your door. And the God who's knocking is saying, I really want you to be all in or all out. In fact, if you're in the middle, I would just rather you get out of the middle and pick no or pick yes. But the middle is really complicated because it... It's not doing a thing for me, and I created you for me, and it's really not doing a thing for the world, and they're looking for an answer. And so God is saying, isn't it powerful to hear him say it? You can almost feel the fear and trembling when he says it. I'd rather you just get off than be in the middle. I, I wish you were hot or cold, but he said, because you're in the middle, it just makes me want to spit you out because I, it, it, it's just not working in the middle. He said, you say I'm rich, I've got wealth, I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I think that's the picture of a lot of us in this world. I got what I need, life's good. And he said, no, you, you don't have what you need because what you need is standing on the other side of the door. He said, I counsel you to buy from me. Gold, refined in a fire, so that you can become rich. White clothes, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. So can I just say it a different way? If you walked in today and there's shame in your life, if things have gone wrong in your life, if there's a lot of sin in your life, all that can change by you opening that door to Jesus and getting from Him righteousness to cover all you've done. Today, in the earliest gathering today, was a beautiful young lady who introduced Shelly to her fiancé. And she is radiant. Um, they met at their work. Um, they look like an amazing couple. They were in town, actually, in Atlanta on a, a work reward trip because their particular location of their uh, business won uh, a, a trip to the aquarium. It was a competition between all um, of the particular businesses in their town. And so they came early because they wanted to see family in Atlanta, and they wanted to be at Passion City Church today. And the reason why the story was beautiful and breathtaking was because um, the young lady in the story, who's so vibrant, so beautiful, such a great mom now to her little boy, going to be, hopefully, and I believe, such a great um, wife to her fiancé, and is such a bright light in the world, used to dance at one of the clubs that's just literally an eyesight of our building And on a night, she said, when she was at the very, very, very bottom. She came to work, couldn't even deal. Met up with some people from the church who had come to the break room that night to pray with the girls in between their shifts of dancing. She had an abrupt encounter with this woman. And finally, God softened her heart. And while she had come to work that night all the way driving there trying to get up the courage to drive her car off the road and take her life she walked out of that club that Friday night went to a safe place in this town for people who have nowhere else to go and she had no safe place to go that night and she entered into a multi-week program stayed in the program met Jesus a few weeks later in the program came to Passion City Church and was baptized in this place right where we saw baptism happen today and began to rebuild her life from how do you balance a checkbook how do you keep a schedule how do you know how to plan a meeting how do you wash clothes and fold them her child taken away from her for a season and here she was today standing not perfect by any means but wrapped in white robes of the righteousness of Jesus. And you're like, "Well, I don't even go to those places, Louie. I wouldn't even put myself on the same level as somebody in a place like that." Oh, we're all on that level. We all think we have it all together and none of us have it all together. We all think we're good enough for God and none of us are good enough for God. And to this church he writes, and I can give you salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And then to the church, he wrote, those I love, I rebuke, and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. It's possible that maybe we're not opening the door because we're just too busy being a church. Got our Bible, got our stuff, got our people. And Jesus, just knocking, saying, I'm at your door. You know, I've got an app on my phone. I could pull it up right now in two seconds, $99. And right now, I could see a live picture out my doorbell on my front porch. And if you ring my doorbell at my house, it rings my phone anywhere I am in the world. And all of a sudden, your picture comes up on my phone standing outside my door. You're like, I need to get that. It's $99 or something like that could be $999 I don't know my builder got it I think he said it was $99 but I I should go back and look at that (laughs) and it's amazing that technology is so advanced that it will allow me to see somebody standing on the other side of my door from anywhere I am in the world but yet somehow spiritually we have not progressed and we still can't hear the voice of Jesus on the other side of the door. Just close and say there's one last reason why you wouldn't open the door. And it's because you think that things are such a wreck (laughs) that there's no way you're going to open that door and let Jesus in. Has that ever happened to you? People showed up you weren't expecting? And you're like, oh, my goodness. And you did the 96-second overhaul of your apartment. Have you ever done that? I had no idea my parents were dropping by. <laughs> you know, you're stuffing clothes in the refrigerator. I mean, you're <laughs> raking things under the bed. You're pushing things out on the balcony and closing the drapes, you know. And a lot of you may be in this room right now. are thinking, I, I, I do sense that he's out there, but there's no way I can open the door with the wreck I've got in here. And here's the most beautiful thing about tonight. The one knocking on the door has got scars in his wrists. And he's already paid the price on the cross by his death, burial, and resurrection to make it possible for you to be forgiven right as you are and to have a relationship with God. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He can see through the door. So he already sees the wreck. And so when did then come to your door and go, oh, man, that is a load of problems in there. Let's go down to the next house. No, he's just knocking anyway. Oh, I see all your stuff in there. I understand what's in every closet. I know what's in the attic. I know what's in the basement. But I also know I have scars on my hands and feet. I've paid the price to stand at this door. And it will swing open on the hinges of mercy and grace and the blood of Jesus Christ And that door can open today because Christ has already paid the price for you to welcome him into a messed up world. And in that moment, he will come in and start a relationship with you. So I wanna encourage you tonight, don't waste your invitation by beginning to fully enjoy now what you expect to finally experience forever. What I'm telling you is you can have your cake and eat it too. You can fully enjoy now (laughs) what you expect to finally enjoy forever. And then when you get to heaven, it's gonna be a seamless transition, not a shock and awe of Jesus going, hi. And you going, hi, I've been so excited to get here. They told me you wanna go to hell or heaven? I said, heaven. They say, do you want eternal separation from God or eternity with God? I want eternity with God. Do you want death or do you want life? Do you want guilt or do you want forgiveness? Do you want to say a prayer and go to heaven? I want to say a prayer and I want to go to heaven. I want streets of gold. I want a glassy sea. I want crystal in the walls. I want it all. I want to go to heaven. (laughs) But hello, do you realize that heaven is not a place? Heaven is a person. And we are the bride of Christ, and he's standing at the end of our road waiting for you and for me to welcome us home, not to a place, but to himself. And all of us Enoch's in the place who are endeavoring to walk with him, to align our lives with him, to obey him, to to become congruent with who he is and what he's about. We're, we're, We're learning he pleases us, but we're also learning that in our trust and obedience, we can please him. He's giving us what no one else can give, but we're also giving Him what no one else can give because no one can give God my affection but me. And no one can give God my worship but me. And then when that moment comes, and it's coming, when that moment comes and we are face-to-face with the Creator, it's not an awkward transition. It's a seamless conversation where we just move from one dimension into the next in a relationship with Jesus. Don't waste this most precious invitation by beginning to fully enjoy now what you expect to finally experience forever. So, what does it look like? Where's the starting point? Well, for someone in the room tonight, the starting point is faith in Jesus. It's for the first time ever in your life opening that door and saying, I need a Savior. I need someone who can forgive my sin. I need someone who can run my life. I need someone who can fill up the void inside of me. And I believe it's you, Jesus. And so, I open my life I open my mind I open my heart I open everything about me to you please come in forgive me of all my sin and change my life around I want to know you I want to follow you and somebody in this building is going to make that decision in just a few minutes from right now but for all of us it's an awakening it's three simple prayers all through the day until it starts to click into our minds God will you help me here Will you you increase my ability to hear your voice, to hear the thing that I need most in my life? Secondly, God, will you hasten my yes to open the door, whether it's two in the afternoon or six in the morning or I'm in my car on my way to class or I'm sitting in class or I'm on my way to a business meeting or waiting in the carpool line and I hear that voice. Will you hasten my ability to say yes and just fling open the door and say, Jesus, let's spend these moments together right now. Join me in what I'm doing Because I want you in the story with me. And then it's just aligning my steps with his. Joining my steps. Lining up with what he wants. Because when I do that, I unlock his ability to reveal more of himself to me. I hope that you'll just make a little mental note. That you don't get everything about God on day one. No, you don't. It doesn't work that way. Well, I prayed the prayer, Louie, and so I'm sure God's going to show me everything there is to know. And I've just been asking him, Lord, show me more Reveal more to me. Tell me more about who you are. He goes, I'll tell you when you're going to learn more about who I am. You start walking with me, aligning your life with me, aligning your heart with mine and obeying me. And guess what? You are going to start seeing way more of who I am. Simple prayer. God, will you help my hearing to increase so that I can sense when you're there? Hasten my yes to open the door and help me to keep aligning my steps with you because I know that unlocks you to reveal more and more of yourself to me.